want to invite you to uh, take your Bibles and turn uh, to Romans chapter 8 again. And uh, this morning, I, I believe it's uh, page 11, 19, or 18 in the Bibles there in the seats. But this morning, we uh, come to a great you know, passage of Scripture for many, many believers for many, many years. And uh, if you were with us last week, you might remember that we saw from Romans chapter 8 that the gospel or the good news, the salvation of Jesus Christ, you know, is personal. It's something that happens between God and us. But it's more than personal. It's cosmic. The whole creation is involved. Uh, the be-all and end-all of God's salvation is not so much us as it is the glory of God. The be-all and end-all of salvation is the supremacy of Christ, that he will rule over the entire universe. And the whole creation is groaning for that day when it will be restored back to what God originally intended it to be. Let me just read a couple of uh, places that talk about this. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul writes about this, For Jesus must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet, right? And the last enemy is death. For God has put everything under Jesus' feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to God who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Where's the whole thing going? Where's it all moving? I mean, our salvation is terrific, a great benefit. But there's something bigger going on than just our salvation called the glory of God, the magnificence of God. I always love the uh, way Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, he says, Because of God's great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions, it's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What for? Why? Why did you save us? Why did you have mercy on us? Why did you sacrifice your son? Why did you give us grace? Because in the coming ages, God is going to show off the incomparable riches of his grace for all of eternity. He's going to point to each one of us and say, look at what my grace did in that guy's life, in that lady's life. Look at where they were and look at what my grace was able to make them into. And for all of eternity, God's going to bring glory to himself through our salvation. So yes, our salvation is personal, but it's also cosmic. And so when we talk about living a gospel-centric life, we talk about, you know, having a, a gospel-centric uh, orientation. We're talking about our whole worldview. We're talking about our whole understanding of history. We're talking about our whole understanding of the future, our whole understanding of people. And, and it's all conditioned by the gospel. We understand that, you know, right now, Romans 8, 23, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We don't have everything that's coming our way. We have the first taste of grace. 1 Peter 1.13 says, listen, set your hope on the grace that's coming when Christ comes back. Uh, we don't have all the grace. 
that God intends for us and so forth. And so we live with this sense of expectations. Uh, we have eternal life now, but there are ages and ages that are coming. And so we have this keen sense of hope that we live there. In Romans 8, uh, verse 24, you'll notice that we were saved in hope. We've been saved in hope, and so we live with this uh, sense of expectation. And in the meantime, we saw last week, we groaned. The whole creation groans, verse 22. Um, we groan, verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for what's to come to us that God has promised. And then we saw, verse 26, in the same way, even the Spirit of God groans with us. Notice these verses. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how we ought to, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words can't express. And he who searches our hearts, God, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. The Spirit of God is constantly going back between us and our Father, interceding, speaking on our behalf, who, and the Spirit knows exactly what God's will is in all of these different situations in which we find ourselves. And so I want to suggest to you this morning, pick some situation that has you groaning. Pick some situation in your life where you groan. Maybe somebody you love is yet to become a believer. Maybe you can't pay your bills this month. Maybe you're addicted to some sinful behavior that you can't seem to shake loose from. And I want to say the Spirit of God groans with you. The Spirit of the living God, somebody with the stature of God himself, groans with you in that groaning that, that comes from the reality of life. And then the Spirit intercedes. He speaks to the Father. He takes our groan to the Father. And in accordance with God's will, He intercedes and speaks for us. In accordance with God's will, He pleads our case. And I don't know about you, but I am so comforted to know that somebody with the stature of God groans with me, understands me, but also understands God's will and intercedes on my behalf and comes before the Father and um, pleads for my case, understanding my groan. This really helps me. Because here's the problem. What if I think I know God's will? Usually when I groan, I pretty much think I know what God's will is. It's usually to change the other person. What if it's really God's will to change me? What if the spirit who hears my groaning goes before the Father and knows the Father's will is to change me and the spirit who hears my groaning is saying, you got to turn up the heat on the guy. He doesn't get it yet. Are you happy for that? If you really desire God's will in your life, 
If you really are a believer who's come to know God and you want God's will in your life, if you trust God more than you trust yourself, if you want to grow in grace and knowledge, if you want to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, if you want to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ, if you really want to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you believe that the Spirit of God groans with you but goes to the Father and is after His will in your life, then Romans 8.28 is for you. Because look what it says. And we know, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who really love him and are called according to his purpose. It's a great verse. It's a magnificent promise. If you want God's will in your life, if you have confidence that the Spirit of God groans with you and goes after the Father's will and then becomes this mediator, this interceder, to bring God's will back to your life. And it's based on the activity of God's Spirit on our behalf that we know that God is then at work in all things for good. When the Spirit of God is keeping us front and center before Father God, we can know that God is at work for our good. Now, Romans 8.26 says, look, we don't know how to pray. We don't even know what to pray for sometimes. We don't know what God sees in the future. We don't know what God's thoughts are often. We don't know God's ways often. But there is one thing that we do know. And it's extremely important. We know that God is at work in all things for good. We know that. Because the spirit who lives in us is taking our groanings before the Father and coming back and working in our life. Now this verse, you'll notice, does not say, well, we wish we knew that God was working in our circumstance, in our situation, in our groaning. It doesn't say, um, well, we hope that God is at work in our life in some way or fashion. No, it says, we know. It doesn't say that, well, well, we suppose that something good might happen someday. No, 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 no. We know. How do we know? We know because it's a promise of God. And the very character of God is at stake. And we know because of the witness of the Spirit of God who is constantly going before the Father on our behalf and coming back to us. And if we will listen to the Spirit, if we will respond to the Spirit, if we will allow the Spirit to have His way, if we don't grieve the Spirit, if we don't ignore the Spirit, the Spirit then we can know with certainty that God's at work in all things for good. How would that change your life? How would that change your life if you really knew? I mean, you knew. Not just hope for, or wish, or eh, maybe. No. We know. Because the very Spirit of God is taking my groaning to the very throne of God and coming back and residing in my spirit. We know that God is at work. We know. We know it because it's the very Spirit of God who's doing the interceding. Let me just remind you of this passage we uh, just touched on a couple weeks ago. Uh, at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Okay? 
For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? Now, you can look around at the people sitting around you this morning, and they can look very pleasant and so forth, and you can think that they're thinking very pleasant things, but you don't really know what they're thinking inside. They might be thinking, you know, how can I avoid that guy again? The Spirit inside of you knows what you're thinking, and the Spirit of God knows what God is thinking. And so this passage says, you know, who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? And in the same way, nobody knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but we have received the Spirit who is from God that we may understand what God has freely given us. Now, we don't always want to understand. We don't always want to know. I'd rather just go off in my little world and think that it's really God's will to change the other guy. But when the Spirit comes back and says, no, nope, you know, I've been with the Father, and it's His design to change you. Yeah, I don't really want to understand that. This is what we speak not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about everything, but he himself is not subject to other people's judgments. In other words, people on the outside without the Spirit just simply can't understand why we would value what we value, why we think the way we think. Because the Spirit who lives within us has been in the presence of the Father, taking our groans, translating them, interceding for us, and bringing them back to us. And that's how you can know that God is at work in your life. Because it's the very Spirit of God who's affecting that work. And uh, so, the first thing it's that verse Romans eight twenty we know, not we hope or we wish, but we know. All right. So, what do we know? What do we know? And we know that in all things. Now, this is a problem, right? All is a little word, but that's huge. Can that really be true? That in all things, all things. Think of the situation that's got you groaning this morning. That in all things, God is at work. Can we really believe that? The verse doesn't say, you know, well, in, in some things, God's at work. And the verse doesn't say, you know, in good things, God's at work. No, it says in all things. You mean even in the bad things? Even in the evil things? Evil in, in, in the suffering things, the discouraging things, in all things, good things and bad things, things unseen and things seen, uh, in real things and imagined things, in evil things as well as good things. Just like the worst evil that ever came upon the world was the murder of the Son of God. And out of it came the best thing that anybody could ever have in their own salvation through the blood of Christ. We're going to go over to that table in a few minutes, and we're going to celebrate the worst thing that ever happened in the world 
when mankind rebelled against God to the point of murdering his only begotten spotless son. And out of it came all the smiles on our face today. Out of it comes all the genuine worship in the world that goes for God's glory today. And God takes the bad things, see, and makes the ultimate good come out of even the ultimate bad. God is at work for the good. But the question is this, do we believe it? Take the thing that you're groaning about and ask yourself, is God really at work? Now, be careful. This verse does not say that all things are good. Lots of things are bad in life. Lots of things make us groan, just like it says. The old uh, King James uh, version of this says that, um, you know, God causes all things to work together for good. The way the old 400 years ago, that's how they put this verse together. Um, God causes. I heard somebody explain this one time that I've never forgotten, and it was, you know, a long, long time ago. It's, they said it's like baking a cake, right? If you take the individual ingredients of a cake, you know, a raw egg and flour, and you try to eat those things, it's really kind of disgusting. They're really kind of bad by themselves, right? Oil, I don't know what you put in a cake, but, you know, none of it sounds very good. But here's the deal. But if you put it all together, right, and you subject it to some heat, the end result's pretty good. That I know, right? The end result's pretty good. And so the old King James put it like that, that God causes all things to work together ultimately for good. Not that each individual thing is good. Um, and so we know that in all things, next phrase, God works. God works. What is God doing today? God works. He's active. He's involved in our lives. He's not just wound up the world and sitting back and, you know, uh, doing nothing. We know that in all things, God works. And the good news is, you know, God is not dependent on anything outside himself to work. And uh, when we know this, it seems to me, if we really knew this, that we would be grateful people. We'd really be thankful people. First uh, uh, Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When you're in Christ Jesus, when you're in the family, and you know that God is at work in all situations, give thanks. We'd be grateful people. Be grateful people. Um, you know, it seems to me we only have one of two choices. We either believe that there's a sovereign God who is actually orchestrating the events of our life according to a purpose and a plan and is overseeing things and allows for us and our free will and our choices in between and, and so on and so forth. Or, you know, we just believe that um, life has no meaning and we just sort of despair and we just do our best to kind of muddle through and, and make the best of it. Uh, the 139th Psalm, the 16th verse, says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them ever came to be. Do you believe that? Could you believe that God actually planned out your life before the world began? I mean, we're talking about God. That all the days were written down, like all the stuff that's had, all, all, all circumstances, all spelled out before the world even began. And that we're playing out a script that's been given to us. 
by the God of the universe. That same psalm, the 139th psalm, leads us to believe that more thought went into our life than all the grains of sand on the seashore. That's God. Can you believe, can you know that in all things, God is at work? Job, you remember that story of Job, probably the oldest book in the Bible? Uh, Job said to his wife at one time, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Do we only trust God when he does what we want? Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Can God work in the trouble as well? Does God work in all things? Henry Nouwen, um, I thought this is a great quote. Uh, he said, to be grateful for the good things that happen in our lives is easy. But to be grateful for all of our lives, the good as well as the bad, the moments of joy as well as the moments of sorrow, the successes as well as the failures, the rewards as well as the rejections, that requires hard spiritual work, the Spirit of God. Still, we are only grateful people when we can say thank you to all that has brought us to this present moment. As long as we keep dividing our lives between events and people we would like to remember and those we would rather forget, we cannot claim the fullness of our beings as a gift of God to be grateful for. Let's not be afraid to look at everything that has brought us to where we are now and trust that we will soon see in it the guiding hand of a loving God. God works in all things. God is at work in all things. To be grateful in stress, to be grateful in loneliness, to be grateful in unanswered prayer, to be grateful when you're treated unfairly. Remember the story Jesus told about the workers who went into the owner's field and they went at different times of the day and he gave them all the same money at the end of the day. And they grumbled and complained because they were treated unfairly. What was the point of that parable? You know, if we know that God works in all things, even in pain and suffering and evil, wouldn't it lead to an increasingly grateful posture on the part of a gospel-centric Christian? If you were to take your life and put it into some cosmic context and realize that God is working his plan and that things are happening of which I am unaware but of which I am a part, I could be grateful if I could trust him. It's a radical trust. And it's a radical verse. But after all, isn't it true that at the very center of a gospel-centric worldview, we have a suffering Savior, a suffering God. At the very core of a gospel-centric understanding, worldview, we have a suffering God who in identifying with us came into this world to pay a price. And isn't it at the cross itself that uh, the testimony of God brings uh, the greatest good out of the worst evil and our hope in the resurrection, our eager expectation, enables us to identify with Jesus who said this. He said, who for the joy set before him, Hebrews says about Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Do we live like that? Who for the joy set before us endure those things that God chooses to allow to come into our lives? So what do we know? We know that in all things, God works. Now look, for the good. For the good. Let's define good. What's good? How do you define good? Uh, who's good? Is it our good or God's good? Or both? 
is God's good always our good? Or do we have our own idea of what's good? Uh, our good or God's good or both. But our good now or our good in the future? Good as we understand good or good as God determines what's good? Here's a question. Is it possible to know what's good apart from God? How do you define good apart from God? I mean, we live in a culture that keeps pushing God to the margins, and we live, I think, where most of us in this room would agree that really what's bad is being called good now. How can you define what's good and bad without God? There's no way. And so when we talk about what's good in this verse, good in the book of Romans is used almost exclusively in a moral sense. So good is what blesses God. Good is what God's like. Good is when we line up with God's original purposes in creating us in his own image and likeness. But God's good is also man's best good. People are most content, most fulfilled, most joyful when they live in God's goodness, wouldn't you say? If you're a Christian, think about your life before, think about your life after, wouldn't you say that when you inherited God's goodness into your life, that you've discovered your own goodness as well? God's goodness is our best goodness. And so the world might look like chaos to us, and our own lives might look like chaos, but we know this. God is at work in all things for the good. Now, I, I just think this is a magnificent promise and a comfort that's unsurpassed. I understand why it's so many people's favorite passage to turn to. Um, when I grew up, I grew up in New Jersey, northern New Jersey. There used to be a Ford plant there and uh, in Malwa. I don't know if it's still there or not, but if we took a... Sorry for all the car illustrations, but, you know, it's just on my mind. It's springtime. We're out, you know. But, um, you know, if we took a tour of that Ford plant, if we started at one end... On the outside of the building, it's a massive building, but if you started at one end, inside, you know, uh, coming into that one end, there's just piles of raw steel, paint, rubber, glass, stuff just comes into one end of that building. And if we walked all the way around the outside of that building and came to the other end, out the other end comes a new Ford. And if I said to you, now look, I know what happens in that building. You know what happens in there? There's these big fans. And they get going, and it's like a tornado in there. And they take all this raw stuff, and they just throw it around like this, and out the other end comes a Ford. <laughs> you would say, you're crazy. And you'd be right. But some people live their lives without God, without knowing that God is at work designing the various aspects, pushing, pulling, painting, scraping, you know, putting things together and all this kind of stuff. And I just think willy-nilly, somehow my life's just going to all work out. Somehow, I just, you know, I was born, and when I get to the other end, it'll all, I'll just work out. There's no designer, there's no creator, there's no rhyme or reason behind it, and so forth. This is a magnificent promise, but it's not for everybody. Here's the deal. Let's keep reading. We know that in all things, God works for the good, of who? Of those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. This isn't a promise for everybody. This doesn't mean that just everything works out good at the end, you know, in some general kind of a, a way. 
This is not a universal promise. It's for those who love God. It's for those who believe God. It's for those who know God. This is a, a promise from God for those who embrace Jesus Christ and become sons and daughters of the living. It's a family promise. This is a promise for people who have been transferred out of the family of Adam and into the family of Christ. I tried to think, you know, what does it mean to love God? If you ask the question, do I love God? I would say there's three things that are fundamental. First of all, you cannot love God without letting God first love you and love you in his way. You can't define your own way to relate to God. God defines the way we relate to him. But the Bible says we only love because God first loves us. So if for some reason or another you will not let God love you, this isn't for you. Your life will continue on a road to disaster. This is for people who love God. And you cannot love God without first letting God love you. And the way God loves you is through Jesus Christ. There is no way to get to the Father but through me, Jesus said. There is no other name given among men whereby we might be saved. There is no way to be reconciled to the Father, the creator of the universe, apart from Christ. And so what does it mean to love God? It means first to let God love you in Christ. And then second, I would say to love God means you want to listen to him. I mean, somebody you love, you want to hear. Three times in John chapter 14, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll listen to me. You'll obey my commands. You'll do what I'm telling you. You'll recognize me. I'm God. And then third, it seems to me that if we love God, uh, to love God means that we'll want to be like him. We'll want to be like him. Don't you want to be like the people you love? Oh, I wish I could be like the people that I love, that I admire, that I respect. And so to love God, this is a verse that's given to people who love God. And then one more qualifier, and who are called according to his purpose. Verse 28. God has called us to himself. Those of us he foreknew, he chose according to the foreknowledge before we were even born, for obedience to Christ. First uh, Peter 1 talks about this, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, who knew us beforehand, uh, for his own purpose. If you ask the question, well, well who are we? In Ephesians uh, 2.10, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We've got a purpose in life. There's a reason that God... Salvation is personal. It's all about us. But it's more than that. It's cosmic. It's about what God's doing in the universe. And we're invited into it. And when we're called and we respond according to God's purpose, here's a promise. This God who employs us in his kingdom building, he's at work in all things in our life. What a great promise. But it's for those who are called according to his purpose. We need to realize that this promise is for those who love God and who are given to God's purpose for their life. Romans 8.28 does not mean that everything's just going to turn out good for everybody. It means that for those of us who love God and desire his purpose in our life, God is at work for our ultimate good, for our eternal good, and I think this creates a massive confidence and optimism in our life now to know that the God of the universe is at work in all things in your life for the ultimate good 
ought to enable us to take some risks. <laughs> ought to enable us to interpret events in our life from a godly perspective. Ought to make us sensitive to the spirit who goes with our groaning to the throne of God and comes back and prompts us in ways that might be contrary to what we think. And when we yield and when we submit, then God's purpose is able to work out in our life and he's at work and, and he will bring us to completion in Christ. This whole initiative comes from God and that's why we can have confidence. That's why we can know that this is really the truth. Uh, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. There are two promises God makes to us today. He promises to be with us. I'll never leave you or forsake you. My spirit has come to make sure that you don't feel like an orphan. He promises to be with us, and he promises to be at work on our behalf. We are partners with the living God as we journey through our lives. Somebody has said that life is lived forward but understood backward. And I would challenge you this, this afternoon to just take a little bit of time Look back over your life and see if Romans 8.28 isn't true in your own personal experience. And if you can't put your finger on ways that God was at work when you thought perhaps he was a million miles away. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful you put this passage of Scripture in the Bible. It's so good to know, Father, that uh, no matter what, no matter what, no matter where we're at, no matter what level of maturity we're at, you are at work on our behalf. And you are at work in all things. There's a lot of things that are bad in this world. There's a lot of things that have gone sour since mankind rebelled against you. There's a lot of things that have been ruined by sin. A lot of miserable parts to this life. But Heavenly Father, you're at work. There's not a single thing that isn't going to be put under the feet of Jesus when it's all said and done. And then all that is will be surrendered up to you and you will be all in all. And Father, we look forward to that day. But in the meantime, I pray that this promise from you would bring immeasurable comfort into all the trials and all the hard times and all the things that don't make sense to us that are a part somehow of your bigger cosmic plan and that we would surrender ourselves to it and that we would do it with gratitude so that we could bring glory to you for Jesus' sake in whose name we pray. Amen.